do you want to live in a world of pyramids? I'm Josh. You're listening to They Came From The Silver Screen. Podcast where each week we talk about a film and dissect it. With me, as always, is Damien. Damien, how are we this week? Brilliant, buddy. How are you? I'm very well. I'm very well. I'm very touched by... I've, I've just finished up watching the film that we're doing this week. Oh, yes. As have I. I did a, did a refresher view because I hadn't seen it since it came out in cinemas. And, oh, man. It really just is very... It's a very eloquent film. Indeed. Especially, uh, surprisingly so, considering the uh, the medium. It's not usually known for a kind of humanistic eloquence. But uh, we won't leave you in suspense any longer, ladies and gentlemen, because I know we hadn't told you last week what we were going to do. But it is, in fact, The Wind Rises, the final film written and directed by the animation legend Hayao Miyazaki before his sixth and presumably final retirement and really what this really is his swan song it is a somber look at um juro uh, horikoshi's life um, but it also mirrors uh, miyazaki's indeed i'd certainly say this is his most autobiographical film of uh his entire oeuvre I mean, this is a man that uh, has always put a bit of himself into his work, and we'll we'll get to that in a second. But you really feel that this is, out of all the films that he's made and then said he was going to retire on, if this truly is the last film that uh, he ever makes, and as of 2013 it is, I'd say this is the perfect one for him to go out on. Yeah, so, you know, the rundown of this, it's a, you know, so it's a... Uh biographical uh, drama about uh, Jiro Horikoshi who in who designed the uh, the zero plane mm. uh, during, the Japanese used uh, during World War two mm. and it um, it doesn't we don't see we don't really see much wartime stuff until you know uh, kind of the epilogue but it's more mm. of, of his life leading up to that moment of where he creates um, the beauty of that yeah, plane. It is a very specific cloistered look at uh, this one man's life. And there is some contextual uh, information surrounding him, but it's never the main point of the movie. It is this story of this one man and his desire to, uh, be a part of this world of flying machines and, you know, in concert with that, uh, this uh, tale of love and romance with uh, his wife who uh, unfortunately dies of uh, tuberculosis. tuberculosis. I'm pretty sure by the... Uh, end of the film, uh, what's her name? Nyako Satomi. Mm -hmm. And, uh, one of the most tender and well written relationships I've actually ever seen in a movie live action or otherwise. 
Yeah, it is. Oh, it is so. It is so beautiful, and like the 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 you know let's let's jump all in because it does happen. Um, their the blossoming of their relationship does happen um, in the midway point of the film. Mm. Um, it is. Very I mean, we well we set first. Up. Yeah, we do. We do meet them for the first time when he's uh, traveling on his train to go to Tokyo University, study aeronautics, mm. uh, aeronautical engineering, and we see them meet when uh, she's younger and he's younger, and they get caught up in the Great Kanto earthquake of nineteen twenty-three. Yeah, which uh, I have to say has to go down as probably one of the most spellbinding and horrific sort of disaster sequences ever put in an animated film. That was absolutely, like, I'm going to, I'm going to keep saying that this is a beautiful film because it is, and it Mm. is, it takes what Miyazaki has done in all of his other films um, Mm. that have gotten far more outlandish and, uh, and it's uh, certainly, it's it's certainly his most, down to earth and realistic film yeah Yeah, he brings it back but you still have particularly in the start of the the film you do see um you do see the the more fantastical things brought back down to earth so Mm. you know the the depiction of the earthquake is like uh like a it does look like a monster's attack attacking. Yeah, and it's you know in the waves that it creates in the yeah, land. Yeah, the un, the the undulation of the land. It actually reminded me a lot of uh, Princess Mononoke and the like the, the the attacks of the creatures in that movie and the idea of nature assaulting man, which was one of the major themes of that film. The uh, relationship between uh, you know nature and the encroaching uh, industrial development of uh, mankind. And here we see, uh, you know, the implacability of nature who doesn't care, just fighting back. Mm. And it is not, yeah, and it is such, it's such a small thing too. Like it's just, it just starts the film and it just, Mm. it does set up uh, that romance in the very early stages, um, very young point in both of their Mm. lives. And we should point out um, just quickly the uh, the animation style oh. in 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 this film because in in twenty thirteen I mean it's it's still all hand drawn. It is. It's which the is which is shows. which is just frankly unheard of. What's the last, you know, actual hand-drawn animated film that uh, Disney made? Yeah, I I can't, re- I can't I can't. Oh yeah, it was the pr- it was the Prince and the Frog. It was that um, Princess and the Frog. Yeah, Princess and the Frog. It was that. It was set in like New Orleans. Mm. I can't remember the 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 date, but it's it's been a good long while. They're full into the. I mean, they own Pixar now, so I mean that's basically their animation house. And then Disney does their own films from time to time, like uh, Tangled or Frozen or things like that. But you know, this is a man like you know Miyazaki. He's uh, in. He was in his late seventies, seventy nine, I think, when he made this movie. And this is a guy that's still 
is active in the production of his films, animates thousands of frames himself, mm. doesn't stand back, takes an active hand in this sort of thing. And the detail, the attention to detail in this and indeed in all of his films is quite literally breathtaking because, I mean, <clears throat> I don't I don't know, like, for the audience how much, you know, understanding there is in terms of uh, animating, you know, uh, films by hand like this, but it takes a Christload of work. But this is a man that will fill every single part of the frame with information and active elements. He won't just paint a freeze and then have a character walking through it. Every single portion of the frame is populated by moving elements, by characters, by leaves, by something as simple as a bottle, you know, rolling across the street or something like that. It takes what, you know, you know, back in the day in, in animation where it would be like the painted backgrounds and then you could tell like if a trap door was going to be like in a certain spot because it was, it was, um, it was far more detailed than anything else. Everything that, uh, you know, Miyazaki and Studio Ghibli uh, creates has a real life to it. Mm. And it is something that is breathtaking to watch happen. It is one of my most favorite. Um, you know, it's really, it's, it's a, it's a style onto itself and it is yeah. gorgeous to actually take the time and, and watch and watch over and over again to get those details. Because yeah, you see something new every single time. And the, the subtlety in the, in the commentary of certain elements that are included, this is a man that understands that showing is always better than telling. And I, I recall, um, uh, I don't know if you've ever seen My Neighbor Totoro. It's one of the ones I have not seen. I've seen the, yeah. the cat. but uh, It's a yeah, cat bus, one of the greatest yeah. characters in uh, animated film ever created. I defy anyone else to have the imagination to think of a cat that could also be a bus. That is, that's just fucking ridiculous. And I love it. But there's a, there's a scene in, uh, in that movie. And that, that is a movie that has as its basis, a very down to earth kind of story like wind rises, but with more fantastical elements. But there's a scene where they are just walking along the uh beside a, a creek and there's just a still there's a shot of the river flowing and you just see some uh, uh like a bottle and a bit of trash lying in the bottom of the stream mm. and just with that he's commenting on man's uh corruption of nature without ever saying it it's not even it's not even the point of the movie but it's still there. Yeah, well, and really, so we've got in this in this film, there is the the I guess it's a, it is a war between um, a man's creation of beauty in this mm. world, and then the means that he needs to take in order for it to be realized. Yeah, there's the intention of what he wants versus the method with which he's actually able to execute it. Mm. And that 
in many regards is to you know in order for him to create these these um, these airplanes, he must do so with by making the war machines. Exactly, and it is and it, mm. yeah, and it is um, what is it Cap- uh, Caproni who is his uh, his me- his dreamtime mentor. Yes, exactly. Who, um, yeah, who who does state that um, you know? Would you like to live in a world of pyramids? Mm. Whereas you know, in order for to, to create this beauty, you have to you have to accept the that, like the the burden of human suffering that went into the creation of mm. this iconic and you know beautiful creation because obviously now yeah we we get the we stand in awe of the pyramids and i certainly did when i uh went and saw them in 2013 they are just they are beyond description they are beyond your ability to put into words the the majesty of what they are but at the back of your mind is always this acceptance that so much death and suffering went into the creation of something that we now accept as beautiful. Mm. And it is, and this is, and this is kind of the, the, the other way of like, because, because he was able to create these planes, um, so much death and destruction came because of them. Mm. And they were the, the, you know, they're the, the, the harbingers of death, which is a great theme of world war two. Um, in which these planes were used in, um, you know, the Manhattan Project. Exactly. It is, yeah. a, it is a stroke of brilliance that man was able to create that, but at the sheer cost of it. And yeah, and you see all these scientists <clears throat> who are so excited. Mm. Like they're, they're thrilled at the advances they're making, at the breakthroughs that they're doing, you know, to be given unlimited funding to basically pursue your live stream of research, but then to have the product of said research be perverted into this instrument of warfare. They didn't want it. But, but as you say, I mean, that's that's the question, is it? How complicit are they mm. in in the in the in what comes after in the the usage of these tools that they helped create? Yeah, and it is it is never spoken upon like Caproni and, and Giro do state that, well, they do come to the fact that they will create these things of beauty and they will take that, that consequence of it to fulfill their, their life's ambition, their, their, their true passions. And it is, and once again, it is, it is shown not spoken of the, the cost that occurs, you know, the, mm. the, uh, you know, showing of it or in, in dream sequences in, in, you know, um, future premonitions, um, you know, the, the graveyard of it. Um, yeah. it is really, it is really the, the final scene that they talk about, um, that it has become a graveyard of death. Yeah, dream I think, but yeah, because um, from his point of view, from Jerry's point of view, I don't. It was never. I mean, he understood, I guess, you know, uh, tacitly that you know what he was doing would eventually be used as a product of warfare, but it was never at the front of 
his mind. That was never his aim that I will create the greatest war machine ever made. Hmm. <clears throat> you know, he just wanted to create something beautiful that could fly. And it's, it's curious because there's a, there's a pretty strong correlation between uh, him and Miyazaki oh, yeah. in, in, in that respect. Because if you look at all of his movies, this is a man that is obsessed with flying machines. Yeah, it is. And, and, and man's, you know, desire to be in the sky and the, the creation of like such fantastical and amazing, uh, you know, flying machines can be seen in all of his movies, you know, way, way back to his first one, Nazca in the Valley of the Wind. Mm -hmm. You've got, you know, Laputa, Castle in the Sky. It, uh, you know, Howl's Moving Castle. Porco Rosso. You know, Porco Rosso, of course, you know. And um, even, you know, Kiki's delivery service was, you know, she was on a broom, but it was still about, you know, the the, the glory of uh, someone flying. Mm. And the, the, through know, the parts air. In, parts in Spirited Away. Oh, for sure. You know, when, uh, you know, when... Uh, She's uh, flying on, uh, you know, the dragon and everything like that. Yeah, it is. Again, it's it's that beautiful sense of <clears throat> liberation. And so, I mean, Miyazaki copped a fair bit of flack from uh, uh, criticizers uh, when the movie was released, Not who basically claimed, yeah, exactly, who claimed that he was romanticizing uh, a certain, you know, part of. Uh, you know, uh, World War Two, which uh, Japan um, really doesn't enjoy acknowledging. They're sort of a little bit different from Germany in that respect. Germany, <clears throat> uh, sort of like the 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 poster country in terms of how to actually deal with um, something like that, in the sense that you know masses of reconciliation, you know, the persecution of people that even do a goddamn Nazi salute. There's placards on uh, the street in uh, most German cities that says so-and-so and so-and-so were a Jewish couple and they used to live here before they were evicted and murdered. Mm. You know, images of reminders and remorse are everywhere in that country. Japan is a little bit different. They they acknowledge their part in the war, but the more atrocity-based stuff, they kind of just don't really acknowledge. Mm. I mean, you look at... Um, <clears throat> Most of the shit they did in China, you know, rape of Nanjing, stuff like that, they really don't like to acknowledge that. And so in many ways, this movie, it almost like brought up a lot of bad memories of a time that they, I think they'd rather forget about. And especially for a man like Miyazaki, <clears throat> who's almost like a, an elder statesman of their entire film industry. I mean, spirited away, outgrossed Titanic in that country. Mm. 
and uh, so a you get this criticism of you're bringing up memories we'd rather leave by the wayside, and also aren't you kind of glorifying a certain you know aren't you glorifying what we did? in this war that people have absolutely agreed was a terrible idea and we did terrible things. And I think Miyazaki's answer was exactly the same as Jiro's in this movie. I just want to make something beautiful. And the war, the the war is not the point. Yeah. And he does, he does grapple with that because it's a very complex issue. Like, and he felt that like the, the far right and the far left both came at him because of it. Mm. Because of a, he's mentioning it. B, he's, you know, uh, quote unquote, glorifying uh, this this man. Um, where it, I guess, from an from our point of view, or at least my point of view, um, it doesn't feel like it's glorifying as much as it is retelling this tale of a man's passion. Yeah, I think you have to accept it as a a, a tale that adopts a certain point of view. Mm. And the point of view of Jiro was of a man that understood the war in a peripheral sense. Yeah. But, you know, he, he didn't fly the planes. No. He wasn't active in the war. He was a designer. He was at a certain remove from all of that. And so I don't think it's incorrect to make the, the the fact of the war as distant as they do in the movie. I think it's actually perfectly acceptable given his awareness and his placement within that machine. Yeah, and I don't think it's it really speaks to like when the, the reveal of of the plane is is made and it's able to do its you know its maiden voyage, its test its test flight. Mm. It is undercut uh, by it is undercut by basically you know, the love of his life leaving and yeah. basically going off to die. And he, mm. and he knows it. He, he feels, he feels that pain and it takes him out of uh, what could have been in any other film. Um, A moment of, of real triumph, triumph and, and, you know, oorah chest beating and, you know, fuck yeah, we've done it. We're going to take the fight to them now sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah, it could have been a real like call to action, uh, call to arms, and yet mm. it, is, it is not. It is yeah. It is you so see, yeah, superbly yeah. done. You see that 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 moment where <clears throat> the 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 final version of the zero, you know, makes the the speed trial and everything like that, and then you just see him, and the camera pans away from the plane, from the soldiers and the technicians celebrating, and you just have this long shot of the wind and the grass. Mm. And it's, yeah, it's, and it's Nahoko that he's, that he is feeling. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a really heartbreaking parallel that I guess you could possibly argue, you know, the death of his wife happened at the same time as the, the death of his innocence mm. as a designer or her death marks the point of his understanding that what he's actually created. Yeah, it is. Well, it's, it, it's all of it. 
It's yeah. I mean, and it's more. It's it's, it's more than that. It's it is it's his almost life. It's, it's he has completed his life. Mm. Really, and it's it's so like the you know leading up to that of you know him working and and holding her hand as she is in in bed. Uh, that is one of the most beautiful scenes I've ever seen in a movie. Period. Yeah, and between two characters, just such pure expression of their love is is palpable. Mm. <laughs> it is. It I, really yeah, is I, I just, I, 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 I can't, I can't, I can't. Um, there really isn't. Aren't, I don't have words to describe that scene, and you know, then that that final scene that we 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 just talked about. There's so much in it that it's almost actually impossible to describe everything that's going on in terms of meaning and emotion. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's something else. There's, there's a subtlety to, uh, this man's direction that, you know, live action directors dream of being able to place into their films. And it does it does draw back into the fact that he is he is the architect of everything on that screen. Mm, exactly. I mean you see it. I mean the the movie itself was adapted f- loosely from a short story by Tatsuo Hori called The Wind Has Risen. Mm-hmm. And uh you know, and that in turn was based on the the manga by Miyazaki as well. Exactly, and uh, you know, uh, Jiro Horikoshi is sort of an amalgamation of. I mean, he was a he was a a real guy, but his character in the movie is kind of an amalgamation of a couple of other people as well. Mm. It but, is a I mean, but, biography. Yes, exactly, and and loose. I think is the point because at the end of the day. It's still written, directed, produced, and partially animated by this one guy who, you know, he's he's not he's not operating on this film at arm's length. No, he's in it. He's in the. He's this in is the someone, yeah, intimately involved in every single facet of this production. It is, and it is very, you know, much like. You know, the end of the film being as, as bittersweet as it is, this film in its entirety is bittersweet because it is so gorgeous and there is so much heart in it that it mm. is so sad that, you know, if this is the last time, this is the final Miyazaki film. Yeah. And it, it is it is truly fitting for him because he, he gave so much across you know, this is, you know, it is yeah, it's a character that has got just as much of himself in it as yeah. as Jiro Horikoshi. And it is this kind of like strange, you know, horribly bittersweet sort of passing of an era, <clears throat> you know, a torch carrying moment because there is there is no one else like him, and I highly doubt that there ever will be. Yeah, let's you know, a- a- anyone else like him because I mean. He's uh, I don't know, I don't know if you're aware of this, but uh, John Lasseter, 
Not who's familiar the head of the name, but uh, go John on. Lass- John John Lasseter is the head of Pixar. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, and he is the director for the English language dubs of ah, all gotcha. stu- of all Studio Ghibli films. Mm-hmm. That because makes because sense. because Miyazaki is their Jesus. Yeah, he is the guy that they they worship in terms of uh, well, basically everything. And you look and you look at Pixar films, and you see a distillation of his method. Yeah, there is there is that heart involved mm. in it. There is always heart. There is always story first. Yeah, you know, in 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 their films and everything like that, and it's such a beautiful, you know, the, the contribution of his art to so many people. I mean, you're obviously familiar with. Neon Genesis Evangelion. Absolutely. Exactly. Well, um, I don't know if you've ever seen Nazca in the Valley of the Wind. Uh, I believe I have. Yeah, it was a while yeah, ago, but well, yes, I have yeah, seen Yeah, exactly. It. Well, there's the, scene, there's the scene towards the end of the movie where there's the giant warrior. Yep. That they're trying to uh, bring back uh, to, you know, destroy their enemies, blah, 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 etc. That sequence in that movie about this giant creature that lumbers along and brings untold destruction to the land was the first animation gig for Hideki Anno, who was the writer, director, and creator of Neon Genesis Evangelion. Mm. And so you see the, the beginnings of, you see the giant warrior, and then you see the distillation of that into the creation of the Avas and the Angels and the, the complexity of the mythology in that show is, seems to be, at least to me, a direct correlation uh, from his work on Nauska. But we've now come full circle as Joseph Gordon-Levitt was the voice of Jiro in the English language dub. Mm-hmm. Hidehi Ano was the voice of Jiro in the Japanese dub. Yeah. <laughs> and I think we, we should uh, at least touch on um... – the actors, at least, because we 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 watch the um, you know the the English dubbing. Mm. Usually, usually, you know, movies like this, I, I, I be strong to suggest you watch in the in the original language that it is in. But movies like the like the Studio Ghibli films, the the translations are so intricate and artful. Yeah, they do. They do. You know, starting at you know Princess Mononoke. Yeah. That was a fantastic one. They, you know, and they exactly. brought in Studio Ghibli films bring in a, a great caliber of of talent in oh, order the to ta- make these the performances. Ta- the, yeah, the talent on Bear is amazing. So you've got Jason Gordon Levitt, Emily Blunt, John Krasinski as his mate Kira Honjo. You've mm-hmm. got Martin Short as Kurokawa, his uh, uh, sort of boss his there, boss, William yeah. H. Macy as Naoko's dad, Stanley Tucci as uh, Caproni. Yeah, Mae Whitman as uh, Kayo, Mandy Patinkin as Hattori. You know, it's, you know, Elijah Wood, you know, even, along with Ronan Farrow, they're all there. You know, even even Christ, like Werner Herzog. Mm. These are... The, the, the legendary German director just pops up out of the blue to uh, voice Castorp. Which, which is uh, fantastic. Which is just amazing. This, the, this man's voice was made for animation there's such a richness and earthy quality to his voice and uh if we if we sort of um deviate from your your point just quickly that's sort of another way that the movie kind of hints 
at the the war. Well, it because, because he plays Castorp, who's this this German man in uh, Japan, and it's never explicitly stated, but it's 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 strongly implied that he's working against the Nazis. Mm. And yeah, he, well, he does he does make allusions to it. Yeah. And the the, you know, the moment the moment where they say, "Oh, I hope Mister Kastorp's okay," he had to leave in such a hurry, which is also such brilliant storytelling. Yeah, because it is done after the fact, you know, mm. in, a, in a letter to just fill us all in on a little bit more. The the writing of this of this film yeah. is really fantastic. That it's able exactly. to to jump around um, as it does, and yet it it crafts it so brilliantly that you're never like, oh, this is not right or this doesn't feel right yeah. or this is incorrectly paced. No, it's absolutely correctly paced. Yeah, it's perfectly done because then you have that scene, you know, they have that scene he's left, he had to leave in a hurry and suddenly that recontextualizes everything that came before it. Mm. All the uh, little hints that he was dropping in his conversations with Jiro on the balcony there, it's... You know, the pol- the secret police are after him and it's like, well, this is, you know, this is what, you know, this this is the allusions to why he's, you know, being sought after. Exactly, yeah. And, it, and it's, it's so well done. It's just, it's just, it's, it's just perfectly made. I can't, I can't, uh, you know, love this movie enough, really. Yeah, and it is, it's such, it's such a celebration once again, bittersweet. It's such a celebration to to Miyazaki of how good at his craft he is. Yeah. Now, and this is a man who's been doing it for you know they they you know Capri talks about uh, you know the ten years that they have. All artists have ten years. Oh, so ten years of uh, inspiration, and after that, that's basically it. Yeah. yeah. And I would uh, you know Miyazaki uh, disproves that. As, yeah, because this this man has been just kicking goals. Yeah, for years, and it's so good. You know, I first saw you know the Miyazaki film that that got me into it was Spirited Away. Of course, and I think I think uh, that that was certainly the first one that I ever saw. Mm. And uh, you know, it's. Uh, it's a curious film in the fact that it kind of broke Pixar's streak at the Oscars. And rightly so, really, that it yeah. that it is such it is effortlessly created. It, mm. And yet so much, you know, as we as we have as we've said before, there is such life in it that it outdoes Disney. Yeah. Cause Disney, you know, it makes so much sense that, that Pixar takes takes cues off Studio Ghibli because there is so much more life in Ghibli productions than what we were seeing with Disney. I mean, old school Disney films, you know, there's certainly that uh, fantasy element to them. There's the, there's the sense of, uh, you know, the otherness and the, the, you know, the awe factor, I guess, in a certain sense, but, Ghibli films bring, like they don't condescend. No, they to, take on to, 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 to the audience, and um, but, and you see in most most of the films, there's these are films that can be enjoyed by children and adults, and not like other movies where you've got some shit for adults and some stuff for kids, so that everyone's happy. This these are movies that, at their core, 
are universally accessible. Yeah, it, 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 in the very much the same way that that Pixar takes on 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 hard issues to come across in films, Ghibli mm. paved the way for that. Exactly. I mean, can you imagine um, Wally being made by someone without, else? Without, yeah. With, 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 yeah, without the inspiration of you know Miyazaki to have a mainstream Hollywood animated film kick off with uh, what is essentially a silent film. And, and succeeding. And, 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 yeah, and then for the rest and almost for the entire movie, there is no dialogue. It is only – it, it is, is shown that, as like, much I mean, as it that needs kind, to. Yeah, exactly. And you see, you see where they learnt it from. Yeah. You know, I would, you know, I would look at, you know, Princess Mononoke – is kind of a story before the time of 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 Wally, in the fact mm. that it, it is showing that um, you know the industrialization of man does have a, a large amount of evil to it. Yeah, exactly. But also, like, just the complexity of the relationships within that movie, and this, this was this was nineteen ninety seven, mm. and. Just to see, you know, the uh, the relationship between um, you know the two the two uh, main characters in that movie, uh, Ashitaka, who's uh, the the man who slowly who is consumed who is um, consumed by the, the uh, yeah and uh, Yuriko Ishida. Uh, beg your pardon, sorry, who um, was the, yeah, voice, voiced, it was the Japanese voice of uh, San. Those two characters, um, this, this is an animated film and it ends with them not riding off into the sunset together. It, 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 it ends with them acknowledging that they're too different that their worlds are too different and they would be better suited returning to where they came from and making each place better. Mm. That kind of um, maturity, well, you, you just, just, you just know, don't it see is that. a departure from, from things like Pocahontas, whereas, you know, them, yeah. so yes, them coming together does uh, create a resolution in the film, but um, yeah, they they understand that just because they created that resolution doesn't mean that it's right of them exactly. to have done what they've done. Like this is the the, the damage has caused almost by their interactions. Yeah, I mean, the movie refuses to put a bow on something that can't just be neatly tied up. Hmm. And it does. And just, it showcases. Yeah. It showcases absence, which is a large character in many Miyazaki films. Absolutely, the, mm. and yeah, and, and the re, and the and the and the reality, yeah, of loss as well. It's not something you know that's often played as this massive, 
end of the world emotional beat. It's played again. I'm going to keep using this word far more subtly Mm. in the sense that it's, it's acknowledged as a fact of life that people die. And so the way in which they handle, you know, Naoko's, you know, uh, declining health. It's not some bullshit Hollywood, you know, romantic drama of, you know, we'll beat this together sort of hackneyed, almost childish nonsense, you know, like such a very dull and basic, you know, interpretation of that. It's, it's two people appreciating the time that they have together. Mm. And taking which I think is, which I, which I think, it, yeah, which I think is far truer to life. Yeah. And it does, it does acknowledge that, yes, there is a finite amount of time. Mm. And whereas, you know, let's look at another, you know, we can look at, you know, Moulin Rouge um, does have tuberculosis involved in it as a, as a plot device for their romantic uh, leads. Yeah. And it is, it is just brushed off. It yeah. is it is it is a thing that they can overcome due to love, whereas you know this film understands that no, this is you know no, that you we won't have a happy a true happy ending. Um, no, in a, in a in a Hollywood sense, because this is what this illness does. This is what you know. This is what war does in in terms of you know it brings death. You know, and death yeah. is part of the world. And we lose. People. I mean, yeah. There's that scene um, where, after the secret police are chasing Jiro, and he's forced to stay in Kudakawa's house, and he gets that letter uh, saying that Naoko's had a lung hemorrhage. Mm. Oh God! And then the cutaway. I mean, back to the painting. Exactly, and it's it's honestly one of the most traumatic images I've ever seen in a movie. Is. And it's not it's it's not intense in a certain sense, but it actually it's it's one of, it's one of the most brutal depictions of mortality that I've ever seen, just because of the the way it's executed, the way it's animated, and I I feel it must be said because of the music. Yeah, and this is this is as with every single Miyazaki film. Uh, composed by the incredible Joe Hisaishi, it who fan- lends so much emotion comes across in the music mm. of these films. It is it and is this- it reinforces everything in the exact right way. Yeah, but it doesn't overdo it. No. It doesn't. It doesn't. It uh, the movie doesn't need the music to dictate the terms of the emotion in the scene. Yeah. What it does is it just lays back and complements what's already there. Much with everything on, on screen, it is everything is being complemented to the story that's being told by the mm. by the by the craftsmen. Yeah. Who are doing almost perfect work. And it, yeah. very much like it is it feels perfect in a way it's yeah it is it is it is i mean it's awe inspiring it is and it is the film that i think he was fated to make last 
Yeah. Because um, he was uh, inspired, I read, um, to, to make this movie after he r- read a quote from Horikoshi uh, basically saying all I wanted to do was make something beautiful. And that's what he's done. It is. This is a. This is a man who is who has created beauty throughout his entire career. Mm. Who has. Who has become an expert in in crafting these things in in getting, the best performances, from everyone involved, be it music, animation. All of the actors. It's just. It, it really is sad that this main, this type of man, this type of director may never come across us for a very long time. I don't think we will see someone of his ilk ever again, really. Mm. Because I truly think that this style of animation is, is on its way out. Yeah, And I'm very impressed to, to think of to think of someone else who not in the, like the animation, uh, you know, genre, but in any other you know, films, uh, film genre that captures as much as he does. Exactly. Uh, there's, yeah, there are, there are people who are at the height of their height of their expertise still do not come close what Miyazaki is able to accomplish in his many films even his bad even his worst film is still better than many great directors best films exactly it's uh and it was yeah I mean I don't know if he intended that but like you know the the final scene in um you know Wind Rises where you know where he said, like, you know, all I want to do is make something beautiful. And uh, Caproni says, you did. Now let's walk off into the sunset and drink some wine together. And it's, it's, it's kind of, it's, it's this heartbreaking end to a story for two reasons, not just because of the story, but because you, you see Miyazaki walking off into the sunset as well. Yeah, this is a man who's acknowledging that this is it. Yeah. It's <laughs> the, the finale of, of that film hits you so hard because of the, because of the buildup of, you know, it, because of that relationship. Yeah. And then it is, it is then compiled upon by, you know the realization that this is it. Yeah, that we will and not you can't, get any more. Yeah, and you can't help but think that in many ways, at least in that moment, he was actually also more like uh, Naoko mm. when she she returns to the asylum. When she walks Sorry, off. The, not the asylum, the uh, sanatorium. sanatorium. Um, and you can hear sort of Miyazaki in the letter saying, "I want you to remember me." as I was, as beautiful, you know, 
yeah. when the love was strong and it was there. I think that's that's him sort of speaking through the movie. And Caproni I think, says it as well that it's yeah. you know it, it, though Miyazaki has done much more than those ten years. It is when an art an artist will know when he has done yeah all that he and can I, and he's on his way out. That's when he's, yeah. you know, Caproni says that he's stopped. This is you know the last plane he will ever design, and uh, and yeah, it, I there is there is some brilliance in being able to see that. Yeah, that you know that yes, this is this is it. This is the best I will do, and this is where I will end. Mm. And being okay with that. Yeah, and it is something that. It is almost it is, well. He is asking that of the audience as well. That it is okay, yeah. just to you know under, under, understand that if I stuck around, it might not be good. And that's a hard thing. That you is know, extremely let, hard. Let you know, yeah. Like, understand that this is hard for me too. But let me, let me go gently. Yeah. Into that good night. It is. It is a hard. The, the brilliance of that man that that's his like that's his final offering to us mm. on the on the silver screen and it's just hits you hard and it's it really does we all must come to terms with like and you think of another another picture that does grapple with that on a on a on a meta level, but also deeply rooted in the film. None comes to mind, really. Yeah, it's because he was he, he was one of a kind, and it is sad that it's the end. But I'm so but, glad that we got to experience this 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 brilliant man and his vision. Agreed. I, I, I got nothing to add to that. And so we come to a, come to another somber end. And I promised myself I wouldn't cry. <laughs> oh, it's, <laughs> it's it's hard. It's hard not to 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 feel. But yeah, it's it's hard not to, to not to not to uh, shed a tear at it, at this all. Yeah. Um, I don't think when we when we started uh, when we decided to do this film that it would hit us as hard as it as it has. Yeah, I know. I, I think that's I think that's the point of the the film itself that uh, when you start it, you don't expect it to to uh, be the roller coaster of fucking emotion that it ends up being. But uh, there it is, and there we are. Yeah. <laughs> It's, so uh, if uh, it isn't clear already, uh, listeners, go watch the movie. Yeah, I I know we we like to choose films that we think you would want to see, dear listeners, um, and that it will be worthwhile for you to to see. Um, that's kind of the direction we're going in. So I think I think it goes without saying that many of the films that we have that we have seen that we have seen should be uh, 
viewed, should be experienced. Um, I think more, you know, this film more so than than many of others. I would uh, heartily stand by that. Yeah, and and really any any and all Miyazaki films. Um, now that we're able to, you know, it's been bookended. We can you can watch you can watch them all and and see, um, and hopefully take something out of it. Um, no matter what you do in, in this in this world, um, I think anything. If you're an artist, um, you know if you're if you just you know, you know a child growing up, it's it all will aid you and and help you see the world in a in a better way. Mm. Because at the end of the day, his message was always one of hope. Mm. And yeah. And to and to live. Oh. Ooh, okay. Thank, thank uh, you for listening, everyone. Um, thank you for listening. Shake it off. Shake it off. You know, dry those tears. We'll all be okay at the end. Okay. <laughs> uh, this week we did do uh, our homework. We did. We actually have uh, a film that we are going to be talking about next week. We've name-dropped this man in a lot of our previous episodes, so we actually thought that uh, since he's got a new one coming out, it behooved us to actually tackle it and uh, talk about the man himself and put him front and centre for once. So next week, ladies and gentlemen, we will be talking about the BFG or the Big Friendly Giant, adapted from the brilliant story by Roald Dahl and directed, of course, by the man himself, Steven Spielberg. Yeah. And it's I, – I really love this book. I, I love most uh, Roald Dahl uh, books and this one kind of crept up on me mm. that it's I, – I knew it was being made but um, it's it's come out now and I'm like, oh, it, it's out. Um, so I'm – yeah, we have seen uh, – we do – yeah, we do talk about Spielberg films uh, a lot Um you know, we've we've in fact talked about uh, Melissa uh, Matheson, who did the screenplay for the BFG. Indeed, and uh, also did uh, the uh, this is her second collaboration with Spielberg. The first, of course, being ET. Mm. So we'll get to. Uh, I'm sure we'll tackle that one uh, a little bit as well as we as we go through the BFG. Indeed, but until then, yes. Uh, Dear listeners, please uh, follow us on all the social media um, where uh, you can find all the links uh, on our website uh, from the silverscreen.com. Um, yeah, go out and see the BFG and uh, until next week, see you later. Toodaloo.